The Faith in the Last Days Articles by Brother John Thomas Chapter 21 Christian Disciples This term disciple is derived from the Latin noun discipulus, which signifies a learner or scholar. He then who styles himself a disciple announces to mankind that he is a student whose object is to learn. If he adopt the term as a sectarian distinction, it then imports that he is a student of the system of theology approved by his denomination, that he may learn all its mysteries. There are innumerable disciples of this class, subdivided also into multitude of orders. In this sense they are as followers and adherents to the doctrine of another, who is therefore always more or less in advance of themselves, and therefore their leader. But there is a non-sectarian sense in which men are styled disciples, namely when they are students of the word, proving all things, that they may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that they might be filled with the fullness of God, and so understanding what the will of the Lord is. Hence a church of disciples is an assembly of learners, and a church of Christian disciples is an assembly of persons who believe the things of the kingdom of God and of the name of the Lord Jesus, and thus believing have been immersed into Christ and patiently continue in the faith and well-doing of their vocation, reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting all things revealed in the scriptures of truth. Such were the disciples first called Christian at Antioch. These Christian disciples shone as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. They counted not their lives dear unto them, but hazarded everything, reputation, liberty, wealth, and friends, for the word's sake. Their treasure was in heaven, therefore their anchor was within the veil. The icy coldness of their old nature was thawed into the genial sympathies of the new man by the benevolence of God. Heart clung to heart, and hand joined in hand, the expressive symbol of unity and love. We want to behold a church of Christian disciples such as these. We fear that such an one is yet a stranger in our world. When such a community of churches is restored, we shall glory in it as a reformation in verity and deed. Chapter 22 Beware of Covetousness In the second of Corinthians, chapter 8, the Apostle informs the Corinthian brethren that the Macedonian congregations had been subjected to great persecution, and that while thus suffering, their joy, notwithstanding their deep poverty, abounded so exceedingly that the munificence of their contributions for the afflicted saints transcended their power of giving without personal sacrifice. 
The sum total of these donations he terms the gift of God bestowed on them, because this fellowship resulted from an intense sympathy with those who were suffering and enduring for the truth's sake, and will therefore redound to their great recompense from God in the approaching day of the Lord Jesus. They began well and ended well. They first gave their own selves unto the Lord, and then to the Apostle and his co-laborers, and consummated the whole in cheerfully giving to the necessities of the truth more than their extreme poverty justified. This is a noble example of the devotedness and liberality of the poor to the suffering truth. The holy oracles abound in such examples. We say the riches of their liberality abounded for the truth's sake. And this is the same thing as if we had said, for the Lord's sake. The saints of Macedonia were suffering shame, reproach, imprisonment, and death for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom of God's sake, for the name of Jesus' sake, for his sake, for the word's sake. All parallel expressions found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were encouraged thus to suffer by the precepts and example of Jesus who had said, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in the present time, and in the future age unending life. So also for the joy that was set before him, he embraced a life of poverty, affliction, and reproach. He endured the cross, despised the shame. Hence, because the saints were suffering for the gospel of the Son of God, they were suffering for Jesus' sake, and the congregations of Macedonia, in communicating to their necessities, served the truth, and proved their love and devotion to the King of Saints. For what is done to them for the gospel's sake is as if ministered personally to him. The Corinthian brethren were rich as well in temporalities as in spiritual gifts. At this crisis Titus was among them and engaged in stirring up their liberality, in order therefore that they might not fall short and by contrast with the munificence of the poor Macedonian brethren, render Paul's boasting concerning them vain. He writes to them that as they abound in everything, they abound in this grace of liberality also, to prove the sincerity of their love. Here then is a great principle set before us by the Apostle, namely, that to prove the sincerity of our love to the Lord Jesus, we must be liberal in our contribution to the truth. From this there is no exception, for rich or poor. If there be first a willing mind, the contribution is accepted according to that a man hath. Deep poverty is no excuse for not doing and riches only lay an increased obligation to excel in munificence. In giving her might, the widow gave all that she had, 
and in so doing gave more than all the rich, who contributed of their abundance without experiencing the least inconvenience. Think of that, ye who are rich. She gave all her living. Think that ye can behold her generous countenance in the judgment, and not remorsefully cry, Shame upon us, for Anne not having been rich towards God. Ay, indeed, you will then feel the force of the Master's warning. Beware of covetousness. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Yet ye have not the heart to part with the mammon of unrighteousness to aid the truth in its arduous combat with error and sin. The Apostle brings to light another principle, namely that of equality. I mean not, says he, that other men be eased and you burdened. The rich have no right to monopolize the privilege of doing all for the truth, nor the poor to the exclusion of the rich, that there may be equality. Lastly, he teaches us that we shall be recompensed in the age to come according to our liberality to the truth in this. Hear this, ye rich men, when thou makest a dinner or a supper. Call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither the kinsmen nor thy rich neighbours, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Luke 14, verse 12. And the apostle says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The profession of apostolic Christianity has made many a rich man poor, but we have never heard or read of the poor man who has been enriched by it as pertaining to the good things of the present life. We are not placed here to accumulate riches for those who may come after us, but to labour for the truth in doing the truth ourselves and in contributing to its establishment in our own day and generation. In occupying our time thus, we labour for the meat which endures to everlasting life. We do not believe that in the midst of so much ignorance, superstition, unbelief and woe as now prevails in the nominal household of faith, that a Christian can die rich and possess the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to pass through a needle's eye. The Faith in the Last Days, Chapter 23, Be Not Discouraged We need not be discouraged because of the stolid indifference of the people to the truth. Flesh and blood is naturally swinish and unimpressible by the thoughts of God. 
The world which is choked with religion, such as it is, is made of this stiff-necked material. It is in the state of an inebriate who has caroused himself into delirium tremens, or a snoring apoplexy. Its excitation, or brain congestion, can only be relieved by copious depletion. To preach the truth to it is like telling fables to a deaf man, putting a jewel in a swine's snout, or casting things wholly to dogs. This is the nature of the flesh and blood world. It is only evil, and that continually. But all the individuals of this perverse race are not so absolutely controlled by the evil thereof as to be incapable of sobriety in word and deed. The race has some honest and good hearts yet, which are as salt, preserving it from total and irretrievable corruption. They require, however, to be salted with wisdom, and persecution or fire for the truth's sake, to make them fit for the Master's use. Mark 9, verse 49 and 50, Colossians 4, verse 6. It is for the salting of these hearts that those who are already salted have to labour with a right good will. They must contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints, with a conviction all the time that a Paul may plant and an Apollos water, but God only gives the increase. All we have to do is to dig, plough, sow, work, as men do who leave it to the sun by day and moon by night, and to the air, earth, and rain, to give the increase from that begotten in the soil. We as day labourers need not be discouraged if we do our duty, be there increase or not. All that we do in the premises is that we be workmen who rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 And not as those who handle the word of God deceitfully, and fear to affirm his principles boldly, lest someone whose corns were pinched by the gospel shoe, feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace, Ephesians 6 verse 15, should cry out sectarianism and threaten you with the rebuke of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. The word where properly put into the right kind of soil will yield just such an increase as God has predetermined. He has sent it as the rain and snow of heaven for the fructification of the earth, that sowers and reapers and eaters may all rejoice together at harvest home. Read Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, where Yahweh says, As the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. What hath he pleased, and what hath he sent his word to do? 
to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. Acts 15 verse 14. He is going to set up a kingdom which is to rule over all the earth and sea. And he requires a people sufficiently numerous to administer its affairs to his praise, honour and glory. This being his purpose, he does not need as great a multitude as is generally supposed when men entangle themselves in speculations about the number of the saved. Many are called, says the king, but few are chosen. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Many will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. Matthew 7, verse 14, 20, verse 16, Luke 13, verse 23. These are not our words, but they are his who spake the words of God. Yahweh then requires a chosen few for his kingdom, a chosen generation, from the beginning chosen of God to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, called thereunto by Paul's gospel unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, to the obtaining of his glory, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, 1 Peter 1, verse 2. John saw this company as this little flock, as Jesus styles them in Luke 12, verse 32, to whom the Father will give the kingdom. John, we say, saw them in military panoply and array, surrounding their generalissimo in his wars upon the kings of the earth, and he says they were called, and chosen, and faithful. Revelation 17, verse 14. But though relatively few, they are absolutely a great multitude which no man can number. Revelation 7, verse 9. They are few compared with all the human race that ever fretted and stewed out their brief existence on the earth a few taken out of each of the generations of the old man of the flesh, a few out of Enoch's generation, and a few out of Noah's, and a few out of Moses, and so on, until these parcels of the few, separated from the solid mass during six thousand years, being gathered into one glorious company of ancients, become absolutely a great multitude and numerous enough to establish the will of God upon earth, and to cause it to be respected for a thousand years. The Father hath given this company of the redeemed ones to the Son for his brethren and associates in all his future enterprises upon earth. They follow the Lamb, saith John, whithersoever he goeth. They are redeemed from among men, first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Revelation 14, verse 4. All that the Father giveth me, says Jesus, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And this is the Father's will, that of all he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at, at to the last day. And again, no man can come to me, except the Father who hath sent me draw him.
and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they, who shall attain to the resurrection he was speaking of, shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard, and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. John 6, verse 37 to 45. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. John 8, verse 47. And again he saith to these goats, Ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them the life of the aeon, Zoe Aeonian. And they shall not be destroyed in the aeon, Aeiston Aeona. Neither shall any one wrest them out of my hand. John 10, verse 26. Men have been commanded to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to contend earnestly for the faith, and so forth, as the means appointed for the separation of this people. Testimony and reasoning, or scripture and reasoning out of the scripture, are the spiritual elements constituting the spiritual agency for their sanctification of the spirit. This spiritual agency is just adequate to the numerical completion of this people, termed the fullness of the Gentiles, in Romans 11.25, and no more. It is adequate to the accomplishment of this, for this result is that for which the word was given, and Yahweh saith, It shall accomplish it. It is not adequate to the conversion of all the world, this is a result never contemplated in the premises. If God had designed the conversion of all nations as such in the absence of his Son from the earth, he would have instituted a system of means adequate to such a result. The spiritual agency was more potent in the days of the apostles in that it consisted not only of a declaration of the testimony, and a reasoning out of its points, but a confirmation also in the reasoning by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts. Here were God and man visibly co-working in the separation of this people for his name. Yet with this more potent spiritual agency, the world could not be converted. Nay, a multitude even of those who were primarily turned to God turned from him again. And that, too, while the apostles lived and while the gifts of the Holy Spirit continued to be bestowed. The gifts were discontinued for two reasons. First, because they had answered the purpose for which they were originally given. And secondly, because through the working of the mystery of iniquity, Christians proved themselves unworthy of the glorious indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their midst. The testimony was confirmed, but the confirmation of the reasoning has been withdrawn, and the spiritual agency for the completion of the work begun at the house of Cornelius 
reduced to what we see. Now the nearer we approach to the apocalypse of Jesus, the less influence will the word be found to exercise over the mind of the general public. We ought not to be discouraged at the fact. The time is fast approaching for the Gentile branch to be broken off and for Israel to be grafted in. The branches of Israel and Judah are broken off because of unbelief, because they did not fear the name of Yahweh their Elohim, the Yahweh Spirit manifested through David's Son, nor believe the gospel of the kingdom preached in his name. For this cause the brotherhood of Israel and Judah was broken by the Roman power, and a day of grace granted to the Gentiles. But these have proved as faithless of the truth as Israel. There were many Jews in Jerusalem and Palestine who believed with unexceptionable fidelity the things apostolically delivered. Still their faith was only enough for their own salvation and altogether inadequate to avert the judgment of God from the nation. <laughs>